Hello, hello to all my readers and listeners. This is Karen Hunt, aka K.H. Majek, and I'm happy to have finished this essay that I was working on before I got interrupted by uh, writing about Trump and Tucker Carlson. So this essay is called To Live Forever. Forget the fountain of youth, pal of mine. You can live to be a thousand and it won't matter. Mediocrities like you deserve immortality. And that's a quote from Gary Scheingart and his uh, dystopian novel, Super Sad True Love Story. But before I get into this essay, I would first like to thank all my readers and listeners. Without your support, it would not be possible to spend the many hours needed to research and write these essays and to share them without a paywall. So please consider becoming a paid subscriber. Thank you. Also, one-time or recurring donations can be made at Coffee, and you can find links to um, those places in my essay. All right. And here's a quote from Brian Johnson, someone who I write about later, about halfway through this essay. Aspire to look and feel your very best. Opt into a system where your body plus science and data do the work. It's akin to saying yes to the internet, computers, and AI to improve your lives in ways that exceed our natural abilities. In Leo Tolstoy's A Confession and Other Religious Writings, he retells an Eastern fable about a traveler who is taken unawares on the steps by a ferocious beast, a beast that we all run from at one time or another. But there is a greater terror, one that is not imagined, which way to turn. And I quote from Tolstoy. In order to escape the beast, the traveler hides in an empty well, but at the bottom of the well he sees a dragon with its jaws open, ready to devour him. The poor fellow does not dare to climb out because he is afraid of being eaten by the rapacious beast. Neither does he dare drop to the bottom of the well for fear of being eaten by the dragon. So he seizes hold of a branch of, of a branch of a bush that is growing in the crevices of the well and clings on to it. His arms grow weak and he knows that he will soon have to resign himself to the death that awaits him on either side. Yet he still clings on, and while he is holding on to the branch, he looks around and sees that two mice, one black and one white, are steadily working their way round the bush he is hanging from, gnawing away at it. Sooner or later they will eat through it, and the branch will snap, and he will fall into the jaws of the dragon. The traveler sees this and knows that he will inevitably perish, but while he is still hanging there, he sees some drops of honey on the leaves of the bush, stretches out his tongue and licks them. In the same way, I am clinging to the tree of life, knowing full well that the dragon of death inevitably awaits me, ready to tear me to pieces, and I cannot understand how I have fallen into this torment." And I try licking the honey that once consoled me, but it no longer gives me pleasure. The delusion of the joys of life that have formerly stifled my fear of the dragon no longer deceived me. No matter how many times I am told, you cannot understand the meaning of life. Do not think about it, but live. I cannot do so. Now I cannot help seeing day and night chasing me and leading me to my death. This is all I can see because it is the only truth. All the rest is a lie. End of a quote from Tolstoy. 
Humanity has gone much further down this road of terror than in Tolstoy's time. It isn't even any longer about the meaning of life. Who cares about that if you can beat death? Living longer means you would be more likely to understand the meaning of life anyway, right? Until then, devote your life to looking younger, acting younger, changing your face, your genitals, replacing your internal organs, injecting yourself with umbilical cord blood used in transplanting stem cells to trigger natural healing and regeneration, becoming part machine, uploading your mind to the cloud, floating free without any bodily restraints. In trying to cheat death, we have forgotten what it means to live. In this essay, I focus on three men who take or took three different approaches to life. They are all extreme. Which of these men do you admire more? If you could, which one would you most like to sit down and have a conversation with? Let's start first with Juan Carlos Ispisua Belmont, a specialist in rejuvenation technology at a secretive anti-aging startup called Altos Labs, said to be the best-funded biotech startup to date with $3 billion invested in January of 2022. His most notable funder is Jeff Bezos. um, Altos is Silicon Valley's latest wild bet on living forever, according to MIT's Technology Review. Last year, Altos Labs wooed Belmont away from the Salk Institute for Biological Studies, where he was a professor in the Gene Expression Laboratory and well-respected for his work in embryo development. Belmont is a star in the health industry. In in, um, 2018, he was named one of the most influential people in healthcare by Time magazine. What did he do to earn such praise? Well, I write about it in my previous essay, I Zombie, and I quote from that essay. While the world was in lockdown and we were being terrorized for our own good, something important was happening in a laboratory at the Primate Biomedical Research Center in Kunming, China. Led by Juan Carlos Ispisuya, Belmont, researchers successfully created the first human monkey chimera embryos in a lab carrying out experiments on human embryos post ethical dilemmas. After 19 days, developing babies are still blastocysts, a bundle of cells with the potential to grow into a completely formed human being. But on the 20th day, something mysterious happens. That inexplicable spark of life occurs, bridging the gap between blastocyst and human. That spark that every Frankenstein dreams of holding in his hands and molding to his will. Experimenting beyond that 20th day posed ethical problems in the West. So Belmont did what guys like him always do. Guys like Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci, for example. He went to China, where such ethical questions are not asked. Researchers injected 25 human stem cells into into 132 six-day-old macaw embryos. Ten days later, most of them, 103, were still developing using both the monkey and human cells. At the time, Dr. Angel Raya of the Barcelona Regenerative Medicine Center posed this question to El Pei. What happens if the stem cells escape and form human neurons in the brain of the animal? Would it have consciousness? And what happens if these stem cells turn into sperm cells? Uncomfortable questions, which Belmont assured us will never happen. Belmont made it clear that his only goal was to solve some biological mysteries that would help humanity. 
Which biological mysteries? Could you please be more specific, Dr. Belmont? We are not going to use monkeys to create human organs inside monkeys, he said. Rather, his noble calling was to learn the language of early human embryo development using this human-monkey model and then use that to better understand disease. Just as the elites assured the masses that experiments such as gene therapy injections conducted upon them during COVID were for their health and safety, Belmont assures assures us the same. But it's never really been about your health and safety. It's about sacrificing it for the good of the elite. With this in mind, it wasn't surprising that despite Belmont's claims of wanting to cure diseases, he left the Salk Institute for Altos Labs to study cellular rejuvenation programming, or in other words, to reverse the aging process. Since then, Belmont's star has risen even higher. Last Friday, Belmont's presentation on stem cells in Boston drew such a large crowd of overexcited scientists, young PhD students, and postdocs that half the audience had to be ejected by the police. It might seem incongruous for scientists to act like groupies at a rave, but who can blame them when they are being promised that we are on the brink of discovering the fountain of youth and that they might have a chance to be a part of that hype? As Antonio Regaldo described in MIT Technology Review, This is almost the ultimate feat of an engineer, the reversal of the life process, says Hyphen Lin, the Yale University cell biologist who is president of the International Society for STEM Research, which organized the meeting. And that explains the boisterous attendees. I apologize if there was a disruption, but take a step back, he added. It's a good sign for this field that there is so much interest. It's a hot topic, hotter than we expected. Hot topic indeed, all the rage, the latest trend. So what are these current experiments that Belmont is conducting that are causing such a ruckus? To rejuvenate cells, Belmont has been exploring a method of resetting the epigenome called reprogramming. During his talk, Belmont raced through examples of how reprogrammed cells become more resilient to stress and damage and on the whole appear to act younger. In one experiment, for example, he says his lab gave mice ultra-high doses of the painkiller acetaminophen that are usually fatal. Yet, if the mice are given a reprogramming treatment, which consists of special proteins called Yamanaka factors, half will survive. We reduce the mortality by 50%, more or less, he says. He also described experiments where mutant mice were allowed to gobble high-fat food. They became obese, but not if they were given a brief dose of the same reprogramming proteins. Somehow, he said, the procedure can prevent the increase in the fatty tissue. I don't know, but this sounds absolutely ghoulish to me. Do these scientists lack the wisdom? to foresee the horrific effect this approach to extending life might have on future generations? Apparently so. They're making too much money right now to be concerned with long-term consequences. Morality or ethics and all the uncomfortable thoughts that come along with it must be pushed aside for the sake of progress. They justify the millions they are making by saying they are helping humanity, when if they paused to really think honestly, they would know it was all a nightmare in the making. So, they stop such thoughts. They become monsters. 
and all those young wannabe science, science celebrities jostling to listen to their idol on that stage are on the way to becoming monsters too. If anyone thinks that humans will defeat death by giving in to their basest desires like overeating or numbing their pain, and then magically editing themselves so they will suffer no consequences for their actions, they are crazy. How much longer will it be before they start conducting these horrific experiments on humans? How do we know they haven't already started? Well, they have actually. And Elon Musk's Neuralink has announced it will start human trials this year, implanting brain chips in human subjects. Will humans be treated any differently than the animals he tested his product on? The comp- a complaint from the Physicians Committee for Res- Responsible Medicine details that one monkey ale- was allegedly found missing some of its fingers and toes, possibly from self-mutilation or some other unspecified trauma. The monkey was later killed during a terminal procedure. Another monkey had holes drilled in its skull and electrodes implanted into its brain, then allegedly developed a bloody skin infection and had to be euthanized. In a third instance, a female macaw monkey had electrodes implanted into its brain, then was overcome with vomiting, retching, and gasping. Days later, researchers wrote that the animal appeared to collapse from exhaustion fatigue and was subsequently euthanized. An autopsy showed the monkey had suffered from a brain hemorrhage. In lab-grown meat and babies, I write about babies being grown in artificial wombs, monitored by robots. In the case of the CRISPR babies and the scientist who made them, I write about the gene-edited babies in China that set the scientific world on fire, and I ask the question of how many more there are that we don't know about. Who gains from all of this, not the masses, upon which they intend to experiment like they do on mice, pigs, and monkeys? They are convincing the masses, not my term, but the term, but the perfect term for how these elites think of the rest of us, that we are no different from a pig or a mouse. Hey, your children are learning that they can be free to identify as an animal or a machine. Our youth are being told that they are trans, that they can morph into anything. It used to be androgynous, meaning neither male nor female, but they changed the term to trans. It's no longer something that a very few people identify as. It's something that everyone is. More and more parents are raising their babies as gender-free. They have no idea of why this brainwashing is being pushed on them. If you try to tell them, they would respond with automatic words without even thinking about what those words mean, either words like conspiracy theory This convenient umbrella can be put over anything that goes against the elite's agenda. No critical thinking is necessary. When someone is accused of following a conspiracy theory, there is no debate. The conversation stops. What these parents are blind to understanding is that raising children as genderless leads to the justification of using lesser humans to fulfill the needs of higher beings. We are assured we will all be much happier like this. Wolf Reich, leader of Alto's Cambridge Institute, also spoke during the Boston event where Belmont gave his talk and mentioned the very beautiful building Altos occupies there. He showed a photo of workers lined up in an atrium who he referred to as many happy people, happy people in lab coats. <laughs> the masses should be happy to be experimented on, while the brightest minds should be happy to experiment on the masses in exchange for bigger pots of money. The big question is, has Altos and other research institutes, because it isn't the only one, 
gotten any closer to finding the, cl- the fountain of youth. As always, nobody knows. Let's look next at Brian Johnson, the middle-aged, almost billionaire, spending $2 million a year pursuing immortality. Johnson experiments on himself, not on other people, but he hopes that others will become as obsessed with themselves as he is of himself to the point where they will buy his insanely expensive products, making him even richer so he can spend more money in pursuit of being younger. This is how Emma Brox of The Guardian introduces introduces Brian Johnson to us. Johnson has received plasma infusions from his 17-year-old son, had 33,537 images of his bowels taken, and tried experimental treatments previously only tested on mice. But the one I like best, I think, revolves around his meal plan. As a man who made $800 million from the sale of his company to eBay, he enjoys a diet of brown sludge made of pureed vegetables, baby food, in other words. From the photos, these measures certainly seem to be working. The 45-year-old tech entrepreneur looks approximately 43. It is, of course, a source of reliable entertainment to study how the very wealthy set about ruining their lives. If excess is the quickest and most conventional route to self-destruction, self-denial is the more rewarding approach for the idle observer. There is nothing quite like the spectacle of a man with huge resources failing to grapple with his own mortality and spending what precious time he has left in joyless pursuit of a goal that is doomed to fail. The biotech CEO may have reduced his biological age by at least five years through a rigorous medical program that can cost up to $2 million a year. Johnson's 5 a.m. mornings, for example, start with two dozen medicines and supplements for all kinds of purported health benefits, lycopene, turmeric, zinc, metformin, to prevent bowel polyps, and a small dose of lithium for brain health. Is this any way to live? If you think so, you can join Johnson and the Rejuvenation Olympics. And I quote from the website, we created the Rejuvenation Olympics to be a public leatherboard where validated anti-aging interventions can be posted and shared. If you are interested in seeing how you are trending, please create an account and join the competition. Now, let's go back in time to look at Sir Ernest Shackleton, made famous for his Imperial Transatlantic Expedition. I doubt Shackleton ever aspired to live forever. In fact, he died from a heart attack at 47. But oh, did he live. The candle that burns twice as bright burns half as long. With the Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition, his team set out to make the first land crossing of Antarctica. They had to abandon the quest when the expedition ship, the Endurance, was trapped and then holed by sea ice. From then on, it was all about survival. Shackleton somehow managed to get his men to safety, an escape that saw the Anglo-Irish explorer himself make a small lifeboat, take a small lifeboat across ferocious seas to get help. And I quote from history.com, Shackleton, Worsley, and four others set out in one of the lifeboats that James carried to seek help from a whaling station on South Georgia, more than 800 miles away. For 16 days, they battled monstrous swells and angry winds, bailing water out of the boat and beating ice off the sails. 
The boat tossed interminably on the big waves under gray, threatening skies, recorded Shackleton. Every surge of the sea was an enemy to be watched and circumvented. Even as they were within touching distance of their goal, the elements hurled their worst at them. The wind simply shrieked as it tore the tops of the way off the waves, Shackleton wrote, down into valleys, up to tossing heights, straining until her seams opened, swung our little boat. Frank Wilde, who had been with Shackleton on all his Antarctic expeditions, described him as the most undefeated and unconquerable man I have ever known. His friend and biographer, Hugh Robert Mill, reflected that his determination always rose highest when most opposed. Quite simply, for Shackleton, all things were possible. Shackleton said, I do not like to set any limit to the bounds of human endurance. One of the most fascinating aspects of Shackleton's journey across the wilderness to seek help was that he and his companions experienced a spiritual presence, encouraging them to go on and guiding them to safety. Of course, psychologists love to explain away such phenomenon, such phenomena as a product of a confused mental state. The spirit is not to be acknowledged. But Shackleton is not alone in experiencing a guardian angel helping him in times of great distress. In 1966, my family visited an incredible place called the Evangelical Sisterhood of Mary in Darmstadt, Germany. Founder Mother Basilia Schlink told us the story of how during World War II, guardian angels with flaming swords stood around the sisterhood protecting them from Nazi, Nazi, Nazi soldiers. Did they imagine this? I don't think so. There are so many mysteries we don't understand. Those who would seek to overcome death and live longer now in this life hate to acknowledge the spiritual realm. Although I have no doubt they know it exists, why else would they fear it so much and try to overcome it? These men do, um, do not, who do not want to face face the afterlife, and these men do not want to face the afterlife and the reckoning it will bring. For Shackleton, being alive meant pushing his physical body and his mental state to the limits to see how much he could endure. I know those moments when I have given my all and how euphoric it feels. For each person, that pinnacle of achievement is different. Not everyone can climb the highest mountain or swim the widest sea. But we all have those moments when we can make the choice to give in to weakness or overcome it and push ourselves to the limit. Those are the moments that make us stronger. Those are the moments when we feel the most alive. The secret to life isn't in remaking your physical body. It isn't in indulging the pleasures of the flesh and then snipping your genes so you don't get fat or contract a sexual disease. Nor is it in denying the flesh, eating baby food, and obsessively monitoring your bodily functions. Nor is it in making billions of dollars so that you can experiment on lesser humans and try to cheat death before it gets you. Vampires, like elites, hate that humans live in the light. They kill humans in order to cling to immortality, the deal they made with the devil. But the price they pay is to forever live in darkness. Evil is a point of view. We are immortal. And what we have before us are the rich feasts that conscience cannot appreciate and mortal men cannot know without regret. God kills and so shall we. Indiscriminately, he takes the richest and the poorest, and so shall we. For no creatures under God are as we are, none so like him as ourselves, dark angels, not confined to this 
to the stinking limits of hell, but wandering his earth and all its kingdoms. And that's a quote from Interview with the Vampire by Anne Rice. Yes, Shackleton died of a heart attack at 47. What a waste, we say now. He should have eaten more kale and less beef. Yes, he achieved some remarkable feats, but he probably lived a very unhealthy life. He probably drank whiskey every night. Actually, now that I think about it, Shackleton whiskey was inspired by the great explorer himself. The Shackleton whiskey is inspired by Sir Ernest Shackleton's adventurous spirit. He truly believed that it's in our nature to explore, to reach out into the unknown. Kenny Nicholson, head of Modern Spirits at Shackleton Whiskey, said, To commemorate his adventures and celebrate the discovery of endurance, which just happened recently, the ship has been discovered, we're challenging people to find a bottle of whiskey in some of the most remote and off-grid retreats and raise a dram to the great Sir Ernest Shackleton. We just can't escape a dollar sign being attached to everything as a proof of success. A remote and off-grid retreat can no doubt be interpreted as a holiday destination of the uber-wealthy that costs an arm and a leg to pretend you are doing something daring. Shackleton would have scoffed at such a challenge. He would have recognized Belmont's promises as lies, and he would have scratched his head in bafflement at Johnson's navel-gazing. Johnson has a blueprint for you, and I quote from his website, Two years and millions were spent developing Blueprint, an algorithm that takes better care of me than I can myself. Now you can build your autonomous self as well. Johnson defends his uh, lifestyle by saying that no matter how eccentric or extreme outside of the norms I'm perceived to be, demonstrating that age can be arrested would change everything. Yes, it sure would change everything. The algorithms of machines controlling your every move, every breath, every bowel movement, every thought in your head. It is said that we are nearing longevity escape velocity, where science can extend your life for more than a year for every year you are alive. To what end? You can run a little bit further and a little bit longer, but you will reach the end eventually. The afterlife, the spiritual realm, will still be there waiting. Shackleton's words ring truer to me than anything these other guys say. When I look back, and I quote from him, when I look back at those days, I have no doubt, I have no doubt that Providence guided me, not only across those snowfields, but across the storm-white sea that separated Elephant Island from our landing place on South Georgia. I know that during that long and racking march of 36 hours over the unnamed mountains and glaciers of South Georgia, it seemed to me often that we were four, not three. I said nothing to my companions on the point, but afterwards Worsley said to me, Boss, I had a curious feeling on that march that there was another person with us. Crean confessed to the same idea. One feels the dearth of human words, the roughness of mortal speech in trying to describe things intangible. But a record of our journeys would be incomplete without a reference to a subject very near to our hearts. And that's a quote from Ernest Shackleton, South. Life is still a mystery, despite Belmont's best efforts to capture that spark of life and mold it to his will. Death is still the one thing we can be sure of. Faith is still how we must live day by day. Humans are amazing, and Shackleton was right to say that there are no limits to human endurance. 
what Shackleton experienced in the wilderness, or Basilia Schlink in Germany, or so many others who have had similar experiences, can never be explained away by the psychologists, the psychiatrists, the scientists, the academics, who want to reduce us all down to bits of flesh that they can pick apart for their own gain. Will we keep running, caught between our fears and the terror of death? Or will we face our fears and live by faith? No matter how many times I am told, you cannot understand the meaning of life. Do not think about it, but live. I cannot do so because I have already done it for too long. What approach to life inspires you? Belmont's, Johnson's, or Shackleton's? (laughs) I leave that thought with you. I'd be curious to hear what you think. That concludes this essay. God bless you. Please share, please subscribe and comment. Thank you.